0: This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, I don't know whether it's just the nature of my position as a pastor or the fact that I'm from western Pennsylvania, but it seems like when it snows, I get lots of dirty looks from you guys. Like, you look at me like, is this your fault? You, you like this. Did you pray for this? Is this your fault? Like, yeah, absolutely, completely. I own it. Yeah. I got it here. See if you can make it go away. Ha! Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It reminds me about three winters ago, we were traveling back from holiday in Pennsylvania, Erie, and so you go across the lake Erie to Cleveland, come a little bit south to hit Columbus, and and we're home. Used to weather up here on the lake, used to lots of snow, and we knew that there was going to be lots of snow as we were leaving that winter uh, to come back home around Christmas time. And uh, my father-in-law says, hey, it looks like there's a big, big something on its way. Which meant that somewhere around here, between Cleveland and Columbus, something was going to happen. It's been my experience... um that we could be more proactive in plowing, and salting when it comes to snow. It's just in the past I've seen that. So we're not quite sure what's going to happen when this thing and we get here together. And so my wife is quickly getting on maps. Is there any way we can get south faster? Uh, we tried some shortcuts to get from here to here, before that to there. Um, nope, boom. All happened at the same time. Couldn't see anything. Um, going very slow. And seriously, the only thing that I could do was keep an eye on that little internal um, letter that said S for south as I'm driving. Because I knew if I kept going south, eventually I'd hit 70 and then I was going to turn so that I could get a W for west. Couldn't see anything else. Wasn't great cell reception. Wasn't great anything. I knew I had to go south. I knew I eventually had to get west. West. If I could go in the right direction, then the storm really didn't matter. Because we'd get to where we needed to be. I knew I only had to go in the right direction. The storm really didn't matter. Do you know that? The storm doesn't matter if you're going in the right direction. We've been in the midst of series learning creed. These statements and these beliefs, these confessions of our faith that anchor us, that say you're going in the right direction. The storm doesn't matter. The storm doesn't matter. You keep this in front of you. You head that way. You, your family, your faith community, you'll be all right. The storm doesn't matter. You don't have to see anything else. Can you see that? I believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth. I keep that in front of me. And in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So what we've been learning. We're going to continue that this morning. Why don't we try that? Can we say that all together? Without looking at the notes. Maybe you tried to pay off Ryan before church to see if he'd put up on the screen. What do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Hold on to that. The storm doesn't matter. I promise you, you'll get to where you need to be. Let's build on that this morning. Let's let's keep going. We're going to add a few more of those core beliefs to creed. And then we're going to take a break. Uh, Doug Brooks is going to be sharing with us next week. So you can be in prayer for him. Uh, He was supposed to share last month. Uh, COVID kind of got a hold of him. So that was, you know, a non-preaching time. But he's been looking forward to sharing with you. He'll be with us next week. And then when I get back, um, I'll be out of town next weekend. We'll continue the rest of the creed. This creed is built around uh, the triuneness of God. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and the works of the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick up and, and learn about the Holy Spirit next month. So take out your notes, please. And let's keep talking about these things and, and, and filling things in. Have a copy of the Scriptures, the Bible. I'm going to work with you through a lot of verses this morning to the, to the level of I would write them off to the side, maybe. And reflect and go back on them throughout the course of the week as we talk about these important things this morning. Last week, it was from womb to tomb. And today, the four matters of death to life. Death to life. One of the things that we believe about Jesus, he descended to the dead. Write that down. He descended to the dead. Some of you are already a little confused. Actually, probably all of you are confused. What does that mean? Write that down on that first line. Those words specifically, please. He descended to the dead. And then on the line underneath that, on the third day, he rose again. On the third day, he rose again. We all have a picture of death. A mental image that you carry with you. Maybe it's fed by reading a lot of Far Side cartoons. Maybe it's fed by a lot of Looney Tunes episodes or cultural pieces and images. Maybe when you think of death, there's lots of flame and fire and there's pitchforks or there's angels and there's Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, everyone has an image of that which is beyond the veil. For the most part, most of our picture of death is fed by our culture and everything after the 15th century. Dante, Inferno, rings, hell, movies. Few of us, I bet, understand death the way Jesus described it in the Bible. Picture it the way Jesus illustrated it in scripture. If you go to Luke chapter 16, Jesus does that very thing. This is not parable. It's not presented the way parable is. This is Jesus giving us a behind the scene look beyond the veil to what is death. Or, or in the Hebrew, Sheol. Or if you want to do the Greek, Hades. He describes it this way. Luke chapter 16, again, just, you want to put verses on the side or you want to you know, thumb through them, that's great too. I'm going to give you a lot. This morning, Luke chapter 16. I want to start reading in verse 19 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Make some observations. If you're online, follow along online with your copy. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. It's good life. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Not the good life. The poor man died, was carried by angels to Abram's side. Rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Okay, so let's just picture in our mind, there's this state of being. Jesus helps us, gives us some geography to understand some important truths. When we think about Sheol, he says, imagine, if you will, these two separate spaces. And the rich man's in one, and he's in torment. And the poor man is in Abraham's place where he's at peace. He's not there because he's poor, and the rich man's not there because he's rich. What we can say is they were both Jewish, which might be something important to note. Ethnically, the same This is an important message for Jews at the time. He called out the rich man, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. There's something about death that's still embodied. We're not ethereal ghosts floating around. He's experiencing torment. He's experiencing thirst where the rich man is. But Abraham said, child, Remember you that you in your lifetime received your good things. Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us, there's a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And no one can cross from there to us. Maybe you have a little bit of the Grand Canyon pictured in your mind. This vast expanse. There's a recognition from the rich man that Lazarus is over there. And he's at peace while the rich man's in torment. Verse 27, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. He says, hey, this is bad. Will you send send someone up, send Lazarus up to warn my brothers of what this experience is like down here? Abraham said, they have Moses. They have the prophets, let them hear them. He said, No, 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 no. Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This isn't about being rich or poor. This is about one's response to scripture, one's response to the promise and one walking in relationship and promise with God. It doesn't matter someone goes up from the dead or not, if they're not walking in relationship to this. It doesn't matter. This is the image that Jesus puts forth to understand what is beyond the veil. And he doesn't use the word hell, he uses the word sheol or Hades. That's significant. How many of you grew up saying some shape of creed in church? Sorry, own it, girls. Own it, boys. Yeah. And perhaps if it was the Apostles' Creed and he descended into hell. Right? Okay. Here's the problem with that. Hell is something else. Hell is something else. In Jesus' presentation of Sheol, yes, there is torment. Yes, there is waiting. But it is not hell as is presented later in Scripture. That which happens after judgment. The lake of fire, Gehenna, that is hell. So to say hell, Jesus descended into hell, is not, is not helpful. But he did descend to death. Why? Jesus died. Jesus died. But how did he do that? Some teach, I know Joyce Meyer teaches it, Joel Osteen teaches it, that him descending into hell, going to hell, was a part of um, his sacrifice. No, Jesus descended to Hades to what we call Sheol with a very specific purpose and reason, not to be punished, not to pay my debt, but as victor and king. If you could look at Revelation chapter 1, 17 and 18, another verse, write it off to the side. John has this amazing vision of things that are and things that will be. And he sees Jesus, the Lamb of God, for the first time, and he is overwhelmed. He is racked with fear. And God, Jesus comes over, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, hey, fear not. For I carry the keys of death. You know what it means to have keys, right? It means you're in charge of something. Means you have control over something. I'm in the process of walking with a teenager who is constantly asking me for the keys. You want a house key? I get you a house key. You want a house key? You want a key to my office? No, what keys does he want? He wants the car keys. Because what comes with the car keys? You control the car. You decide where the car goes and what the car does. That's what it means to have the keys. Jesus says, I hold the keys to death. I am over death. I have drained death and Satan and the devil of his power. I control what happens beyond the veil. Another place to look is to be Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Another verse to write down. This is verse 14 through 18. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps the offspring of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted or tried he is able to help those who are being tempted Jesus experienced humanity in all the ways that we experience humanity. Jesus experienced death. But what does it say? Through his death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he delivered all those who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. What happened on the cross? Good Friday morning. That's the question. As he hangs up there, as he dies up there, Good Friday afternoon, what changed in reality? What shifted? The moment of his death upon the cross, he took victory over death. He claimed victory over the devil. And he delivered those who are of Abraham. The faithful ones of promise. Art is helpful in in, in this context. Words sometimes fail, and artists have tried to capture this moment artistically for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Some call the image the Resurrection. Some call it Anastasis. uh, Some call it the Harrowing of Hell. uh, Ryan will bring it up. It looks like this. This is Orthodox from the Orthodox tradition. You're like, I have no idea what I'm looking at, Paul. This is a graven image, and you're going to burn for it. Email me later. I have a pointer. (laughs) I have a pointer. Isn't that awesome? I had this before the first service. I know where all the cat people in the church are. (laughs) Because apparently you do the same thing that your cat does. I would walk up, and I'd just move it wide. I'd just move it on the ground like this, and they'd be like, what is that? What is that? that?" Here's Jesus in the center. Okay, uh, this is important. This is this almond behind him is the communication of God as light. And the closer you get to Jesus, the darker it gets because Jesus is also mystery. You can see how his, his clothes are flowing because he has victoriously come down to the dead and he has kicked the door open of Hades. This is the broken door of Hades below it. Often to this side, you'll have John the Baptist, David, and Solomon. Jesus uh, great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers, other faithful to the side. But normally always in this painting, Jesus is picking up a man and a woman out of their tomb. This is Adam and this is Eve because Jesus' work is for all humanity. He descended to the dead. Down below you have keys and there's um, chains, links, locks. Those things that have bound us. It's hard to see in this particular image, but down below there's another individual. That's death himself and he's been chained up and bound. And the door rests on top of him. Jesus descended to the dead victorious, and on the third day rose again. Because he's not fixed. He's not bound by death. He's the victor over death. If you remember back in Luke 16, okay, it talked about, uh, Abram says, hey, we can't go there. You can't come over to us. This is fixed. This is a fixed reality for us. We can't move all over the place. God says, I've got the keys. I have the keys. Let me take you to another passage. Uh, Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. You want to see death the way that Jesus sees it. Matthew 16 is a passage I read a few weeks ago. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? If you remember, I said that's an important question. That's a great question. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Ah, oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be loosed, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So he's in Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And where he is, is significant. Because it was believed here in this district was one of the gates of hell. So Ryan, if you could bring up that first one. Hey, this is literally, this this is a rock. And the city moved up towards the rock. And it was believed that that cave was one of the caves that took you down into the depths of Hades. So if we do like an artist's rendering of the city, the city kind of moved up towards this rock face of Caesarea Philippi. And then if you were right there, if as we look at the archaeological footprint that's in front of those caves, go ahead, Ryan, uh, they had built temples and grottos to worship the specifics God associated with that cave. Whole areas riddled with idols and riddled with temples of all kinds. And so right in the middle of this, as Jesus stands in front of this rock, this gate of Hades, He says, I will build my church on top of this. And the gate of Hades will not prevail against it. In fact, I give you keys. What you bind is bound. What you loose is loose. That's that's language for, for spiritual engagement. Dealing with spiritual forces. Jesus is saying, I'm taking this back. And I'm going to build something on top of it. Over it. That has authority over it. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes this dynamic this way. In Colossians chapter 2. This is verse 13 through 15. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities put them to open shame by triumphing over them over them in him. It was common custom that if an emperor uh, Domus defeats uh, another king, ruler, warmonger, that defeated king would be stripped down and marched through the city being presented to open shame so that all knows that's the loser. Our guy's the winner. This is the language that Paul is using to describe what Jesus did over sin and death and the forces of evil. Evil thought it was winning. Evil thought it hung Jesus on a cross, presenting the Son of God to open shame. What they didn't realize is that he was turning the tables on them completely I don't think that these ideas are just about death as that which we will all face. But death is something that we can experience on a regular basis, depending on life experience. How many of you know what it's like to go through hell? Hands go up. Yeah. You know what it's like to go through hell. We say that, right? how was your week? How was your month? I know I've talked to you this week. The psalmist doesn't shy from that. The poets in scripture don't shy away from that. There's 13 psalms alone where the poet cries out, I feel tangled up in death. I feel overwhelmed in death. God, don't forget me in Hades. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of You want one to read? Dude, it's a dark one. Just take Psalm 88 sometime and just sit there. It's just verse after verse after verse after verse. God, have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me? Have you left me? God, I'm going through hell. Churchill would say, if you're going through hell, what? Keep on going. Followers of Jesus can do that. He descended to the dead and on the third day rose again. Who do you think had the greatest road trip in all of history? I know, great transition, right? Like, I was thinking about this. You'll see how it connects. Who do you think had the greatest road trip in all of history? Don't know his name. Don't know his name. I will eventually. The morning that he died, he knew he was going to die. Probably didn't even sleep much that night. Not just die, he was going to be publicly executed. Crucified. He'd seen that. And he knew he had it coming. He and his cohort, he and his group of criminals, they had done atrocious things, and Rome does not take kindly to that. So he waited with a couple others for this moment of crucifixion. And he probably got really confused when all of a sudden this cell doors open and one of his compatriots by the name of Barabbas was let out, set free. And another man named Jesus was put in his place. He'd heard a little bit about Jesus, perhaps. All he knew is that Barabbas was free and Jesus was in there. This thief was marched through the city. He was stripped. He carried his own beam for the crucifixion, marched up the city hill. A fellow thief crucified. Jesus crucified, himself crucified. Mocking began. The spitting had begun. Torturous, the pain surging through his arms, surging through his feet. He was in a living hell. In a living hell. Even with his friend mocking this middle guy, this Jesus. King of the Jews. King of the Jews. He'd heard other things about him. But through the course of the morning into the afternoon, something shifted in his understanding that perhaps Jesus was many of the things that Jesus had promised that he was. So much so that the thief looks over at Jesus and says, Will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's not what he was expecting. (laughs) Because he's going from hell and then in a moment to be in paradise? Not what he was expecting. Darkness falls. Panic ensues amongst the people. He looks over and Jesus has died. Maybe there's no hope after all. Roman guards, these are professionals at execution, walk by with a club, shatter the legs of his, his co-conspirator, walk over, shatter his kneecaps, his tibia, so that his body will decompress upon the weight and so that he will die a whole lot quicker, suffocates. He can feel the life leaching out. He can feel the darkness coming as he descends from one hell to what he assumes it will be another. And yet in a moment... He sees Jesus. And something is different. The scene is different. Perhaps we can't know for sure. But here's the man who made the promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus says to him maybe, are you ready? (laughs) Yeah! Then Jesus says, I got to make a quick stop. I got some keys I need to try out. And so perhaps this man, this thief on the cross, goes from a living hell into Sheol itself with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, only to be transported in a moment, in an instant, to the very presence of God. Who knows, maybe he even saw Jesus himself ascending to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Tell me that's not a road trip. Tell me that's not a road trip. But in that is something that we believe. Write this down. He, Jesus, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I'll give you a second to write that down. It's a little bit longer. Familiar language, familiar verbiage for some of you who grew up in church, grew up churchy. You can see the return of that phrase, God the Father Almighty. We've come back. We've come back to God the Father Almighty. He ascended into heaven. We have images of of Jesus before the disciples and the apostles ascending, like the Son of Man ascending upon high. But there's something important here I always want to highlight today. We'll spend a whole lifetime unpacking these things. This is what the faith is. But is seated at the right hand of God. Is seated. Is present. Okay. Okay was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary, did suffer, was crucified, dead, and buried, is seated, present, will come to judge. What does it mean to say that he was seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, a pastor trying to help his Jewish Jesus followers keep following Jesus, had this to say, talking about Jesus' work. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start reading verse 11 through 14. Again, write it down. Write it down and come back to it. Follow along. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Are they acts of faith? Sure. Do they actually remove the sin? No. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those being sanctified. Have in the back of your mind the tabernacle or the temple. And if you were to look in there, you see priests running around making sacrifices. Priests running around making sacrifices. Get up, make a sacrifice, put it upon the altar. Go back, find someone else. Take offering, blood, make offering. Go back, going, 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 going. Get up the next day. What are they going to do? The exact same thing. Again and again and again and again and again. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews said, he made one offering for all sins, and he sat down. Why? Because what do you do at the end of a long day when the work is over? Terry, what do you do? You sit down. Do whatever Mo tells you to do. (laughs) When the work is over, what do you do? You sit down. So the writer of Hebrews said. He sat down at the right hand of God. The, The work is done. The sacrifice is made. You don't have to make it again. Make it again. We gather to remember it We proclaim it, but we don't make the sacrifice again. Once for all. Done. The high priest. When I come and I make my confession to Jesus and I turn in repentance, because tomorrow I'll need to do that because I'm going to screw up today. Most merciful God, I confess I've sinned against you in thought and word and need by what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry. I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I might delight in your will, walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I'm not replaying what Jesus did, it's been done. God and I are just agreeing on it. And if you can get that, then you are more free in your repentance and more open in your confession because you don't go there from a place of shame. You go there from a place of recognition and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in my sinfulness, Jesus nailed this to the cross. You nailed it there. It's done. It's dealt with. Thank you. Thank you. But not just from a priestly perspective, but also from a kingly perspective. To sit down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty until his enemies become a footstool. That's king language. He is king over all. From death to life, from Hades to heaven, he rules over all of it. He got the keys. He has the keys. This is Psalm 110, if you know your Old Testament. This is Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man, and sitting next to the Ancient of Days. This is Philippians chapter 2. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Yeah. As I said last week, followers of Jesus, we, we just die different. We die different. It doesn't scare us. An old theologian said, if you look out into the desert and you see children playing around a lion, what can you conclude about the lion? Either it's dead or it has no power. Such are the children of God in the face of death. We play around death, we don't play with it, we're not afraid of it. We live vibrantly, fully, completely. Many people go from life to death. Followers of Jesus, we go from death to life. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Let's write that down at the end. At the very bottom, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. As you write that down, we've come full circle. Let's tie the whole thing back up again. We started with Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, what did we see? We saw two individuals die. One goes to a place of torment, one goes to a place of peace. One not holding to the promise, one holding tightly to the promise. That's judgment. That's judgment. Luke chapter 2, he's delivering those who are Abrahams. That's judgment. The thief on the cross. To one he said, today you'll be in paradise. What about the other guy? He didn't ask. So close. He didn't ask. It's judgment. Hebrews chapter 10, where we just were. Place his enemies as a footstool. That's judgment. I'm thankful he's the judge. I'm thankful he's the judge. And we recognize and we proclaim the fact he is the judge. And yes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He's over all. In light of all of this, I hold fast to Jesus in his work on the cross. I don't add to it. I don't take anything away from it. I hold on to what he has done. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed my sin and my death and my depravity. He nailed it to the cross and rose again. Which thee for you? Which thee for you? At the same time, I am looking for and anticipating his return. He will come again. He descended. Past tense. He is seated, present. He will return. So if you're going through hell, Churchill was right. Keep going. Remain faithful. Remain steadfast. Hold true to our profession. Our confession. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ask our artists to come up. I want to invite you to participate in the message this morning. I don't think it's over. Some of you are like, great. Because the message is something that we live under and we live with. That he descended and he rose again victorious. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Over all things I rest in that. Despite the hell that I'm walking through. Though I feel entangled by death. And overwhelmed by death. And, and surrounded. and, 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 and over, I don't have to be afraid. For Jesus says, I'm with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.